The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. We're in a series called Spiritual Mathematics. Today's part four, and um, we'll get to the equation here in a little bit, but if you're looking for a place to turn in your Bibles, Matthew 6 is where we'll land kind of towards the end a bit, um, and we'll get there, but Matthew 6, if you got a Bible, if you got a smartphone with a Bible app, you can look it up. I always encourage bringing the actual pages of a Bible. I think it's good to get familiar with it, so if you own one, I still encourage you to bring that along and follow along in there, but... Um, I was voted in as the, the lead pastor here 11 years ago now, and um, I found out in short order that financially, like we, did, we had like no money and we needed to do layoffs, and we had the property up north. I've mentioned that 57 acres up north um, for years. The idea was that that you know the, there'd be a building built and we'd sell here and move over there. Year back in the 90s, early 2000s, and. Um, we owed on it. It wasn't purchased outright. We owed money on it as a, as a mortgage. And the economy, of course, was in bad shape back then. You're talking 2009, you know, 2008, 2009. Um, it was a rough spot. And about 10 years ago, we had somebody approach us and say they wanted to purchase the property in chunks and build um, kind of like a camping park you know, every 10 acres or whatever. And we're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Um, and so uh, then we had somebody about nine years ago approach us and say, hey, I want to buy the property. And their, their price was like fire sale. Like they didn't want to give us any money. And we're like, we're not, we're not going to do that either. And so as the years went on, we kept paying the mortgage and, you know, got 57 acres of dirt and stuff. And, um, and then a little by little, as we know, the economy began to change and that was good news. Then the city had put out a comprehensive plan of the future development north and stuff. And they actually had a large arterial road going down the middle of our property. And we're like, that is going to crush the value. And that's, that's not good. And that was kind of a, a reason to be concerned. And, um, we worked with the city on, on that conversation as well as a rezone because the zoning originally for, for us was, um, public institutional, which would be schools, fire stations, uh, you know, retirement centers, churches, things like that. And, um, so we were working through a rezone and about four years ago almost, we put it out there, um, for sale, but we specifically called the Toledo tribes and said, Hey, you guys want to buy it? And they just said, Hey, we're not interested. So we put it out and we had three developers come along and put in offers. Well, we landed on one offer in particular uh, that we just felt the best about and um, been working through the sale. And so that was three years ago almost that we entered into a contract. And we were told then that with that size of property and with development, it's going to take 18 to 24 months to close. And of course, that's a, a, a you know stretch of time, but it is what it is. And so we're in contract. We're coming to the end of, of you know the contract date and we're looking at a closing date and that's exciting. And then kind of at the last minute, we had an appeal uh, from the Tulalip tribes for the development of it or against the development of it, I guess. And, uh, and that's fine. We knew that, that that can happen and whatever. And so it became an issue that was kind of locked up in the courts. So for the last year and a half, it's been kind of locked up in the courts and we've had hearings and over at Snohomish County, you know, courthouse in, in, in Everett and just trying to figure out what to do. The developer had their lawyers and, and just a lot of conversations and, and, and all this stuff. And we're just kind of going, I don't know, Lord. I mean, we've had conversations forever. I don't know what you're doing, God, but we, you know, we're going to trust you. 
during that period of time, we had received some, I would say, uh, maybe mysterious phone calls that, that we could operate kind of underhandedly and maybe get through this in a different way and it could be settled. And to be honest with you, we didn't believe that would be right at all. And so we, we never explored that option, even though it really seemed like you know, a, a possibility. We're like, we're not going to do that because even as Proverbs 22.1 says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Like, look, we want our reputation to matter more than we care uh, whatever ends up you know, for the sale of the property. And so we just continued to, to lean into prayer. Like we've said many times, I've said, hey, could you just pray with us and we'll be on this journey? And I don't know what God's doing, but we're going to trust you know, that he's got the outcome in mind and that we don't end up you know, having to, to you know, deal with it at a cut rate or whatever. Well, throughout the summer this year and into the fall, you know, the lawyers have been having conversations and, and the conversation began to lean towards why, why doesn't the Toledo tribe just buy the property? And they're on board with it and the developer's like, okay, you know, whatever. And so throughout this whole thing, it's been kind of a, uh, I don't know, we'll see, maybe, possibly. And um, it all comes down to that last week we met Chicago Title and signed papers and the property is finally sold and it's done. So... It's, I, you don't, I mean, you have no idea, like the weight of, uh, that's lifted. Like I probably look taller, even though, you know, I'm already 6'4", um, you know, but uh, the weight that's lifted. But here's the crazy thing, and, and not crazy, here's the thing. I, today, like I wanted to make this announcement and, and the celebration, we're talking about like, what do we have, like lights flashing, we'll have a song, like party rocking anthem, I don't know what, but um, so we're talking about this and I literally just, as I was thinking about the announcement, I thought, you know what, um, I don't feel right about it being, I don't want to say like silly celebration, but I don't feel right about that. I, I don't know why. And so I, as I was working through this week and into the weekend processing this, Heather and I were talking about it and we both kind of really felt the same about it. Like, um, to me, there's something, something like sacred about the fact that we're done. And I, and I think it's important maybe to, to not have done it the way we thought possibly of doing it for fun, partly because um, to me, it's a testament to God's faithfulness. And, and I want to encourage anyone in the room that, you know, like we sing a song like Waymaker, and my hope when we're singing a song like that is not that you're just kind of listening to the music or watching the lights or whatever, but that you're literally dialed into the, the words of the song simply because there are different trials that some people in this room are going through. There are different circumstances that people are facing that it's like, God, I don't, where are you? And I don't, whatever. And I love how Jordan said it at the end of worship today. Great job with the song, but saying what he said about like, look, even when we don't see it or feel it, and that's how we've been for 11 years. Like, Lord, what are you doing? We've been asking for this whole thing to be done for a long time. And here we are. If you told me 11 years ago, it was going to take 11 years. I don't know what I would have done. Like, no, no, that's not okay, Lord. You know, work on my time, not yours. Um, but I want to encourage you that God is faithful. And I think it's important for us to stop. And I just want to pray. And I just want to give thanks to God. And I want all of us just to join in together in, in thanks. Um, and, and, and I want to reflect on it because he really is faithful. Amen. God, today, we want to say thank you. And yes, we celebrate. And yeah, we clap. And yes, it's definitely a weight lifted. But God, I pray that more than it just being, well, it's sold and that's great. And okay, there's money involved and congratulations. It's more than that. It's literally this journey of, of faithfulness. It's this journey of us living by faith, that there were options at certain moments that seemed very detrimental, that seemed like this is not going to go well, or it's not going to play out, or, or it's going to come, kind of come crashing down maybe. And yet throughout this whole journey, for us as a board and a staff, key people within the church that, that maybe had certain connections and conversations that we literally brought this to you and God, you have shown yourself faithful. So we want to say thank you. 
And I pray it would be a testament to anybody in this room today that's maybe going, God, I, I, I need a job, or, or God, I need a breakthrough with this situation in my marriage, or God, would you move in my family, or Lord, would you provide, or would you heal, or would you, that God, we lean into you. We talk about it all the time, but as a church, we've had to live it out on this journey, and while it's not maybe revolutionary to some people, it's a big deal to a lot of us because it's been a, this big kind of prayer thing. And so we're grateful for your goodness, and we pray we would continue to follow you humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it's incredible news because part of it is this. It allows us to move forward with a vision that we've talked about for a while. And I'm going to bring up some of that. And over the next few months, we're going to get more specific about it. But it's kind of the first domino that we've been waiting on to fall because it allows some of these other dominoes to fall when it comes to working with architects on the future of our facility, when it comes to the future of campuses as we dream and pray. I mean, obviously we've got Marysville and we've got Snohomish, but we're literally going, what does it mean to plant churches in other areas and help people see Jesus, not just here, but in other places. And so talking about all of this, and it's a big deal. So somebody said it this way a little while ago, it's like one hill being taken. There's other hills that we got to take for this whole thing, but here's one, and it's a big one, and we're grateful for it. But what I love is that, that now we get to move forward in other ways. Here, here's the way I want to phrase it to help us understand. God has answered our prayers because I have said for a long time, pray with us. Pray with them. Many of you have prayed. Many of you have carved out time. We spent some time, even in the spring, fasting and praying over a bunch of different things, but one of them was the sale of the property. So God has answered our prayers. It's, it's a step that, that you know we've been waiting and trusting God for, but it's not the end. It's just one step in the right direction. And I want to talk about direction because I love how, as a church, we're in this together. Like I've said, hey, let's pray together because God has to do something. Let's pray it and ask about it. And he's done it. And so we prayed and God answered. And then the, the, the funny part a little bit is this. The message for today had already been planned and outlined a long time back as we put our series together. And yet I get to make an announcement today about signing papers a few days ago and it closing and being done. And then we didn't even change the topic for today. And it's funny because it's like, God, this is like you got a good sense of humor. Because the spiritual mathematics equation for today is this. Faith plus generosity equals legacy, or you could say eternal impact. And I love that that's the topic because um, that's right where we're at today. And, and this conversation is, is, I think, what continues the movement that God would be asking of us together. A while back, I shared out of Second Chronicles a story where David is addressing the nation of Israel, and there's this conversation about the temple being built. But a couple of things he says in there, as I jump into this, this message, are important for us to understand. And it starts here, I'm going to start in verse 11. It says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. O our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. For who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have comes from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. 
I'm going to stop there and mention that what David is saying in the theology that we all need to understand is this, that for you and I, whatever it is that we have and whatever sort of wealth or income or whatever that we're given isn't ours. In fact, David is saying, whatever you've given is really yours, God. And, 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 and so everything, understanding stewardship, everything we have is not ours. We're simply stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Understanding that, he goes on to talk about that, that in verse 17, you know we've done all this with good motives and, and I've watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. And that's where you talk about this temple conversation from the Old Testament. You can still go to Israel today, to Jerusalem, and go to the Temple Mount, going back all the way to this text in Second Chronicles, celebrating the legacy of God's goodness. Now, there have obviously been terrible times. You look at the nation of Israel, the destruction of the temple, the rebuilding of the temple, as you have it in, in, in the scriptures, and, and it's rough. However, there is a legacy you can go back to today because of what happened back in Second Chronicles. This building that you and I meet in, in one sense, you could say, is the legacy of people that were generous back in the 1950s and early 60s. So this, literally, this room could be grand opened in 1964. Then, then in 1979, the North Wing was opened as what was called the Fellowship Hall Wing, and, and it, that's the legacy of individuals that gave in the 70s. The Office Wing over here was grand opened in 1986, and there are people in this room that gave to help make the Office Wing you know, be built, constructed, because it cost some people gave to that. You could say the legacy of, of the recent generation of us that are here would be the NOW initiative asking people to give a couple of years back so that we could renovate the North Wing from an old fellowship hall wing with the worst orange carpet you've ever seen. Do we have, where, is that somewhere? Where is it at? It's back here. If you want to see the worst carpet ever, which by the way, I'd love to sell this to you. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> Tell me this isn't the ugliest. I don't know who in 1979 was like, that is amazing. We need thousands of square yards of it, but, but, or square feet of it. But this is the result of my reception pictures from my wedding have this everywhere. And thank God for technology where you can change the color and hues of things, but it doesn't change the pattern of this nastiness. So anyway. But, but the, the NOW initiative is, is many of us that gave in order that we could build out the North Wing into a brand new kids wing. And, and there's all kinds of ways where we talk about the, the, the legacy that we have as a church. But we all know this, legacy is much more than, than like buildings. In fact, legacy has to be much more than facilities. And just for the sake of the conversation, um, I'll just use my life, I guess, as an example. And I, I, I hate in some ways that this is like me, but back in 1992, I'm 16 and a half going on 17 years old, and I stepped foot on this campus and had an encounter with Jesus that changed my life. And I look back and, and I realize for me, it's not about the space. It was about the people. And I think back to my youth pastor when I was a brand new believer in Jesus. His name was Benny Perez. And Benny Perez described himself as a skinny Mexican with big eyes. And he was, he was incredible. But seven day, literally seven days after I gave my life to Jesus, I was sitting in his office, up in this office wing, a long time ago. And he looked at me and he pointed at me and said, you're going to make a great youth pastor someday. I'm like, this guy's nuts. 
But I think about the six years of time that I had with him mentoring me and encouraging me and and shaping my life in significant ways, and it wasn't about the building, it was about Benny Perez and what he did to invest in my life and his generosity. And I think about Ken Squires, who was the pastor here, and he had the vision to purchase property. He thought about moving, and there was transition, and things didn't work out. At the same time, though, this is an individual who always expressed grace towards me and belief in me. The one who gave me my first shot in ministry back in the year 2000 when he called me and said, hey, we want you to be the youth pastor now. And I'm like, oh my word, are you kidding me? And Heather and I had just barely been married and we prayed about it and felt like it was right. And my first day was my 25th birthday as a youth pastor at this church back then. And I think about like the legacy of people like that. I think about the legacy of a rich Smith who invested in me and believed in me and and, and was so passionate and still is about discipleship, about helping people understand the basics of their faith. That, that inspired me, encouraged me, spent time with me, helping me understand the value of scripture and the need to memorize scripture and all that stuff. I think about Rich Smith, who's still here today and maybe is in this service or not. There he is over here, right there. Rich Smith. <clears throat> you can give him a hand. He's worth it. Incredible. Some of you might remember and many of you won't remember names like Obi and Lenore Richardson, who were seniors way back when. And, and John and Pat Wallace, and they were so kind, encouraging to me. I think about Bill and Dorothy Clune, who invited us over as newlyweds way back when, and we knew them in the 90s, and Dorothy passed away, and, and Bill remarried Irene Anderson, who's dear to my heart, and, and the, the, the belief and encouragement that they gave to me all the time over years. I think about my own wife's grandparents, Wilbur and Margaret Rudnick, and he hated his name Wilbur, so he went by WH, that's what you called him. But uh, how kind and loving and encouraging they were. And Jim and Irene Hopkins. I think of, of Paul and Debbie Anderson, who are still part of our church today, who invested, I can't count how many hours in, in, in me and my wife in this church and their sacrifice to, to keep things going. Chuck and Carol Telshow, who are over at Snohomish with Andrew because we sent a bunch of people over there to make that campus happen. Faithful and incredible and smart people that have helped us become who we are and get to where we're at. Matt and Angelica Lind, who I've known for so long and and before they were even together, they were hanging out at my house watching The Office way back when and Angelica was part of the youth ministry years ago. I think about Dan and Anna Hubert, and, and again, just years of encouragement and, and love and being part of the board and the wisdom. Tim and Tammy Emineth, if you know that Tim and Tammy, Tammy's been in charge of our coffee stand to help with missions for a long time. Um, they're passionate about marriage, and if you watch their marriage videos on Facebook, you're probably going to blush because they got one topic they just really, really enjoy. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, I remember them from Northwest University when I was over there trying to be trained to learn about ministry, and they were over there, and they've been a part of this church for so many years, making us better. Think of Chris and Elizabeth Cormier. I think of Steve and Kristen Rude. Yeah, they're related to me, but at the same time, their support constantly. I think of John and Susan Otto and their son, Jason, and Tanya Otto, who have become our friends. I think of countless people who have been so generous and loving and supportive. And honestly, I mean, I can go row by row almost and, and, and name people that have meant so much and been a part of this journey. And I, I'm not doing it to like, oh, this is me and look at me. I'm saying it because it's more than just a legacy of, of, of stuff and building. It's a legacy of people. And we've, we've done our best to say, look, we're in this together, that, that we are family. And, and whatever this future is, God's got it, but we're going to dream together about it. 
We're gonna believe that God has better things in the future and that's not super specific yet, although we do know that 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 first domino is a big one that allows us to generate the conversation again with the architects and get things going about the facility and look at the campuses. But the other part of, of this journey is realizing that this isn't me, this is all of us. My hope would be that for you, as some of you that have young kids that are in Grove Kids, we read years ago, double down on what you do for kids because they're the next generation of the faith. That's why we created a NOW initiative and said, we're gonna spend a lot of money on an incredible kids wing and staffing, the best staff we can find for a great kids ministry because we want young people to learn those valuable stories about David and Goliath, those great stories of God's faithfulness in the Old Testament Testament to Israel, Moses, those great times of, 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 of memories educating them, themselves with, with, with teachers that are over there sacrificing their energy to help kids understand how much God cares about them through Jesus Christ. That connection is, is kind of comical because my wife has more history here than I do. She used to ride her tricycle around the parking lot back here because her dad was a youth pastor and they lived in a parsonage in the back parking lot. It's not there anymore. It's paved. Okay, anyway. But, but part of the fun of her story is that in first service today, Bob and Ginger Oliphant were sitting over here and, and she went to their Sunday school class way back in the late 70s and early 80s. And Sandra Rothrick, where'd she go? Sandra Rothrick over here has been a part of this church since the late 70s, early 80s, was in a Sunday school class with my sister-in-law, Kristen. The history and connection and value of generosity is something that we see everywhere at this church. And here's the thing, the legacy continues. Yes, as a church, we, we have a, a good reputation in the community, and that's huge, and we want to make sure that, 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 that we keep a great reputation. But here's the deal. The legacy continues because the, the outflow of faith is generosity. That equation makes sense because as you and I learn and grow and, and take on, we talk about like reading the scriptures and, and, and learning what it means of praying, getting connected in a life group. As we take steps, there's something about us that's like, look, this is amazing. What we realize is God's been generous with us. As you learn about your faith, as I learn about my faith, I see, man, God has been in innumerable ways generous with me. The grace that he pours out towards me, the love that he pours out, the joy, the peace beyond understanding, the hope I have into eternity, all those things he pours out. I love how in the life group questions this week, one of the questions is this, as a life group, come up with as many ways as you can that God has been generous towards you. Now, I love that because I don't think there's an end to that list. I literally am like, that's an inexhaustive list, which is why part of the question is start a timer and in five minutes, come up with as many ways as you can. But it's that thing where there are ways that God is generous towards you that maybe you've never even considered until you're in a life group this week and somebody says something like, oh yeah, I never thought of that one. Because God is so generous with us. But, but here's the deal. God is generous towards us in innumerable ways. Why? So we can be generous towards others. That's why faith plus generosity when we live generously in, in, in the way that we're gifted and can help you know, build the kingdom through, through the gifts God has wired in us or, or our ability to be generous with our time and carve out some, some room to go, you know, I could, I could come and, and, and greet at a door. I can be a part of an iHeart or I can go to the Philippines or whatever it is that when we live generously, it impacts generations that you may never even know about. And that's what I love about faith plus generosity. 
The natural outflow of, of learning in our faith is becoming generous and it makes a lasting legacy in people's lives. It's why we celebrate all the time people giving their lives to Jesus Christ. It's why we celebrate all the time baptisms. It's why we celebrate the number of people that are getting connected in groups and life groups. It's why we celebrate the fact that people are taking steps to commit to reading scriptures, all kinds of ways that we celebrate because it comes out of the want to be generous. We're blessed by God so we can bless others. See, Paul says it this way, and I'm, not, I'm going to read this, and, and some of us get a little weird about these verses, and I understand because it's easy to manipulate, but this isn't about that. Paul literally says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they've freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now I read all of that and there's a whole bunch there. And there's a whole series within itself. But the basic idea is understanding that God wants to be generous towards us so that we can be generous towards others. And the idea isn't just about others. Paul is saying it's about you. When you live generously, it produces a joy. It produces a sense of anticipation for other people being encouraged, other people being blessed, the light coming on for others that maybe you've been praying for, maybe that you live near, maybe that you go to work with, but that generosity is shown by you. And the beauty of what it does is it causes you to well up with joy. Anybody out there have kids of any age? Let me say that. My kids are grown. I don't care if you have kids, raise your hand. If you have kids, you probably understand the joy of Christmas differently than you did when you were eight years old. The joy of Christmas when you're eight is, what do I get? But as parents, the joy of Christmas became, I can't wait to give this to them because the face they're going to have, the excitement, the little dance they're going to do, they're coming around and hugging everybody and saying thank you is priceless. And I love that. And I live for those moments. And that's the picture that Paul is trying to help us understand that when you and I live generously, it produces something in us where it's not just about us. It's about others that are blessed by the generosity we get to show because God has blessed us. Giving produces joy. It's fun to give. I think of our, our missions example, and, and we had talked about at the beginning of October that we took on three new missionaries. We increased all of our missionary support across the board by 25%, and we took on a new church plant in uh, Oceanside, California, going, I don't know how we're going to pay for it, but God, if, if people step up, we'll be fine. And the awesome thing is, in the month of October, it was all covered. And I love that people are going, hey, you know what? Sign me up for, I'm going to give 10 bucks a month to missions specifically, or 20 bucks, whatever the amount was. But I love that us all being in this together, it's cool. People are going, let's do this. Let's go. We're all in it, and we're all going to do it. What you begin to see 
when you and I live generously is the basic idea that it's not so much about what God wants from us, because it's not even ours, but what God wants for us. And what God wants for us is this sense of, I'm in this for others. I'm in this to help, to love, to encourage, to shine the light of Christ so that people around me can see it. And whether it's money or it has to do with the time or talents or whatever it might be, God wants us to be generous. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust or vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. It's the nature of resources. What we give to, we're vested in in our heart. And then Jesus goes on to say this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are healthy, the whole body is full of light. If the eyes are unhealthy, the whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, then how great is that darkness? For a man cannot serve two masters. Either they will hate the one or love the one and hate the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Now, that's three paragraphs if you're reading in certain translations. The beauty of it, though, is it's one topic. He doesn't go from talking about where your treasure is, there your heart will be, to, you know, how do your eyes look, to money again. It's the same conversation. What he's saying is this in the middle portion that seems like a weird left-hand turn. He says, the eyes are the lamp of the body. When the eyes are healthy, and the word there really ought to be generous, looking for opportunity to be a blessing. When your eyes are generous, your whole body is full of light. Think about it. When you're looking for opportunity to be a blessing, isn't it like, anyone? Rather than like when you're not, and it says when you're not looking, he says when your eyes are stingy, unhealthy, stingy, your whole body's full of dark. Why? Because you're going, right? I mean, just the nature of the facial expression kind of tells you that's the idea. And then he says, um, you can't serve two masters. You'll hate the one, love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. What Jesus is reminding us of is that really faith, the outflow of our faith is that we live generously. And it's, it's not about the amount. It's not about that you can give this much, but they can only give, or I can only give, but they can, and what in the world? It's about realizing in some of the language we say is this, it takes all of us for we to win. And so one, I mean, I would love to do a backflip and celebrate the sale of the property. It's just been years and I'm going to fall on my head and I'll crack my neck and can't feel anything from the lips down. I'm like, that was a great day to celebrate. And then it was tragic. What a weird thing. Um, <laughs> But like, I'm excited that the, the, the property sold. I'm so glad that that season is over. That's great. At the same time, what does it look like? Because this message came right out of the same week, same conversation. What does it look like for you and I to live generously so that the world around us can see the light of the gospel? As a church, we've taught, I mentioned a little bit earlier, what does it look like for 4705 as we, as we look to expand our facility? What does it look like to have campuses in other areas as we launch out churches and send people out? And that's great. But part of it is also realizing that we're, we're in a community even here right now where we're not in this for the short term to go, wow, let's go, you know, do something amazing. And that's it. So like a few days ago, we had a giant party. We love to throw parties, right? We had a giant party, and part of it is we, it's, it's a touch point in the community where people look at Christians and sometimes think that, you know, we look like we're always dipped in pickle juice. But instead, people see that, wow, they're like fun people. And so we have a giant party where somebody on social media the other day goes, why would you celebrate the devil's holiday? I'm not celebrating the devil's holiday. I'm having a party. 
can call it whatever you want, but people are going to gather and we're going to shine the love of Jesus by offering games and doing some creative stuff and hand out candy to kids. We think it's fun. But it's not just that. We don't just do iHeart during the summer and go, wow, five days, look at all that got done. That's awesome. We don't just have fight hunger starting right now, encouraging people to, to give financially as well as go to Fred Meyer, rush Freddy's on Thursday or go around your neighborhood to collect canned goods and everything that weighs a lot. of Anyway, so, but um, we, we don't do that just because that's a good thing to do. We do it because in the long run, in the span of five and 10 and 20 years, we believe as a church we can have a significant impact on our culture. We believe we can have a significant impact on our communities. And so we bring up that challenge all the time, believing that you guys, I happen to be a huge proponent that you and I can change some of the statistics. Why is that word so hard to say? (laughs) That the statistics in our community of drug addiction can change because we're here that the statistics of homelessness can change because we believe we can make a difference. In fact, a couple of months ago, we were trying to figure out what it looked like because they didn't have a home for the cold weather shelter in Marysville. Every time it drops below 32 degrees, somebody opens their doors and and homeless people can come and get a warm bed for the night. And we were going to do it. And we had all these plans and we were going to create a a space from our old kids wing and put doors in and locks and make it safe. And every time it dropped below 32 degrees, we're open and people are going to help make that happen. And we were on board to do it. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, as they took the tour, they're like, oh, you don't have any ADA access. We can't have you do it here. We're not allowed to. And we're like, okay, well, we tried. You know, so um, the cool thing was, though, again, in partnership with all kinds of entities, um, the Salvation Army, who just moved their offices right off of state by 7-Eleven here down Grove, um, they said, you know, we can do it and it's going to happen. But we're just looking at how do we be a blessing to our community and look to see some of these things change. One of the things that, that we're talking and dreaming about is what does it look like to open a tutoring center here where, where kids can come and, and, and get a, a healthy snack and spend an hour, hour and a half there um, working on some of their grades or doing some SAT, you know, pre-testing and just different ways to help kids up their grades so they can, you know, live a little differently, have a vision for what could be down the road as maybe some of them aren't dreaming about a future, begin to dream about a future because they're actually preparing for that future. What does it look like for us to do that? And I believe it's going to happen this school year. But, but again, it's not one year and we do it. It's going, what do we do to begin to see a community transformed by the love of God in Christ. And some of the ways are very practical ways. But I believe the love that you and I show is a big deal. And the legacy that you and I leave is a huge deal. And it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about helping people see the love of God and the hope that we carry. And that's, what we, that's why when we celebrate the sale of the property, hey, that's awesome that, that we, we roll that into what could be as we look at the future and dream about and invest in because it's bigger than where we're at today. It's more vast than where we're at today because as I've said before, there's about 117,000 people within a five-mile radius of just right here that aren't part of church and don't care about faith. Well, it means, hey, there's a lot of work to do but you know what? Maybe we could actually believe and put a dent in it. So I want to go back to, and I'm done, the question that's for you and for me that I'm dead serious about. What does it look like for you to be generous? What does it look like for you to live generously? As we've said before, we we use language like it takes all of us for we to win. We've said before, the work of God has always been provided for by the people of God that we step up and go, what does this mean? That for you and I to look at the legacy to continue, how do we live generously? 
And just like I asked you for months, years even, pray about this property, you guys, pray. And God answered, I'm asking us to now pray. Okay, now that that's done, as these other dominoes begin to fall and we get a little more clarity, what does it look like for all of us to be on board together? And specifically, what does it look like for you to be on board? And what does it look like for me to be on board? And some, in general, you could say we're a generous church, and I believe that we are, but there's some that struggle with generosity. There's some that struggle with the idea of, 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 you know, what does it look like for me to take that time or take those reasons? What does that look like? And I want to challenge you just to make it right now, just like the property, make it a matter of prayer and watch what's about to happen because it's going to be a really fun ride. Uh, today, I'm so grateful, but it's, it's not just about a property thing. That that's, that's just a piece, really, of a conversation. That's just one hill of many that I really believe you're asking certain things of us. And it means that this adventure is in some ways about to get crazy, I guess. But Lord, I'm excited about what you would have us do. I believe we're all stewards. I think that's a big conversation. And I'm grateful, God, for what you do in us, that God, you are so unbelievably generous. But I pray that it would produce in us a generosity. And God, I pray for each of us to make this a matter of prayer, bringing it to you. God, what does it look like for me to live generously? That's the prayer that I'm asking each of us to pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.